Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. So what does it all mean now that we've gotten to the end of slogging through each individual section of the DOJ's Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Program's updated guidance document, dated April 2019, released last day of April, as far as I can tell, last day of April, uh, so not quite two months ago. What What is the upshot of what we are dealing with? Well, uh, as I think I mentioned in the introduction, the clear thing that you see as far as the design and uh, implementation of this revised memo is it's taking a lot of the material and theory, if you will, from the 2012 FCPA guidance document and uh, combining it with the 2017 uh, original Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs memo uh, that came out in February of 2017. Uh, That is very clear, at least structurally, that it it is a conglomeration (laughs) of, of uh, the concepts, the three uh, threshold questions and the concepts from 2012 uh, with uh, the specific queries, uh, the, the checklist that's not a checklist of uh, 2017. Uh, that's what we see when we look at it. So two weeks ago, I was on a panel, uh, the uh, Federal Bar Association of the Southern District of Texas in Houston, uh, with a, a great uh, group of guests, and it was being moderated by Jay Martin, formerly of Baker Hughes, and uh, now in private practice. And I told Jay beforehand my joke that I wanted to get out, which I didn't get out, so you guys are going to get uh, the joke that I uh, meant to say at the um, panel, but just didn't come up and didn't have time to say it, is uh, when I look at this memo overall, I feel a little bit like the kid on Christmas morning that got socks uh, instead of the Red Rider BB gun that I was uh, hoping Santa would bring me. Uh, I've got what I needed. I've got something that can really help me, um, but it's not really what I wanted. And I think at the end of the day, that's how I feel about this memo. I feel like this memo uh, continues to kind of uh, color in the margins around concepts and guidance that the department Uh, has been giving us uh, through the U.S. Attorney's Manual and these various memos for many years now. Uh, But it doesn't really give it to us in a format that is particularly useful. Um, I I don't want to pan it too much, but it is kind of hard to decipher. Uh, It is not, uh, uh, I think it is a product of, again, trying to uh, meet different um, different requirements and also uh, not to you know completely decimate uh, guidance that's been given in the past. That's got to be a hard writ uh, to draft against if you're tasked with drafting uh, this memo in the first place. So I don't mean to knock the authors of it uh, at all, uh, and I'm glad that it exists. But um, I I wish I wish there was some willingness to start with a blank sheet of paper, um, to move away from this concept that compliance programs have to be born out 
of the NPA and DPA settlements that come out of the fraud section of the, ju the Justice Department, because those are all skewed towards FCPA prosecutions. Not that, again, as I say every time I say this, the caveat here is not to say that that is not an important risk, but that is not a risk that every organization faces. Certainly not the organizations that we see in the U.S. Sentencing Commission sentencing data, the organizations that take the biggest hit, take the biggest punishment, and I say this over and over again in this podcast and every time I speak, the organizations that really, really uh, need to have a good guidance document and need to be aware of compliance uh, uh, expectations and what makes an effective compliance program, they're not having FCPA violations. That's not what the data shows us from the Sentencing Commission for organizations that take the ultimate penalty, that take a felony conviction and are sentenced in front of a district court judge in the United States. Those companies are not uh, uh, being charged with FCPA. It's just not what's happening. Uh, the small and medium-sized organizations make up the majority of those organizations that get in the worst trouble, and they make up the majority of organizations. Many of you who are listening to me would qualify as a small or medium organization. That's how business is done uh, by a majority of businesses in the United States. Um, so this guidance uh, is mostly helpful uh, to a smaller group of organizations that have more sophisticated and mature programs, and particularly those that have programs that uh, have uh, third-party risk and specifically anti-corruption risk as a top-tier risk for their organization. Again, nothing wrong for that guidance to exist, but it already existed. We had our 2012 from, from, jointly from the Department of Justice and SEC, um, it seems to me uh, that perhaps the thing to have done if they really wanted to focus on third-party risk and they really wanted to focus on FCPA is to add an addendum to that 2012 guidance that, sp that spoke specifically to uh, expectations around compliance for that. I feel like we could have a much shorter much more general document that better tracked standards that everybody is already familiar with, such as the sentencing guidelines, to really effectuate uh, what I think the department wants and what I think everybody wants, which is more organizations to adopt effective programs. Um, this will get us down the road, and we really needed those socks, but we really wanted the Red Rider BB gun. Um, all that being said, I'm glad they did it. I'm glad that they're working. I'm glad that they're thinking about compliance because we had a Department of Justice uh, that didn't necessarily give us any guidance on compliance up until a few years ago, and certainly not as specific as this is. I, I just feel like a, a big red pen could be taken to this document, cut it down quite significantly, uh, simplify a lot of the sections, uh, simplify a lot of the queries, really get to the heart of what the expectations are. There's a lot of great material in here that would make great examples too, would make great scenarios uh, for, for uh, the department to provide. 
uh, but don't really work in the you know the the paragraph format that comes before the queries in each of these sections I guess is more of that you know narrative format but it just could be organized in a way it could be presented in a way that I think could be much more effective I feel a little bit like I'm talking to one of my clients when I'm trying to convince them to update their code of conduct or or their written standards for their uh, for their stakeholders and their audience out there uh, you know, the department is no different from every other uh, law department, um, general counsel or uh, legal counsel out there in that we can't help ourselves. We draft like lawyers. Um, and this document, uh, although it is primarily uh, aimed at compliance uh, practitioners out there, and many of whom are lawyers, it doesn't need to be this complex. It just doesn't. It could be much more clear, much more direct about the expectations and what really goes into making, uh, making a, an effective program. And, and there are areas in this document, which we talked about in the last uh, dozen or so uh, podcasts, uh, where I feel like there could be more information. I feel like there could be uh, more examples or, or, or um, uh, scenarios that could be presented to, to eliminate what the expectations are. Um, so there are areas where it's, it's very, it's, 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 uh, surprisingly light on uh, parts of a program that are very important, but then it del delves very deeply into things like, uh, around vendors and third party, uh, care and feeding and control, which are important, uh, but, but not necessarily important to, to the broad global audience that I think, uh, could be better reached with a, a document that was more, uh, more tailored to that. So, so I don't want this to all this to be a complete, <laughs> this conclusion to be a complete gripe session because I think it is valuable that we have it, as I said, and it and it does uh, build upon a lot of the concepts that I think were new in the 2017 memo uh, that we hadn't really thought about before. Uh, but I, I feel like I, I feel like our friends at the Department of Justice uh, could really, really. Um, uh, give us something that is a little bit more illuminating, a little shorter, uh, more to the point, um, that could uh, provide more detail around some of the areas that are a little light uh, and could perhaps carve out a little bit of the discussion that is so focused on uh, third-party due diligence and uh, uh, very, very fact-specific FCPA uh, anti-corruption type compliance. Uh, that is important and as a guidance document is, is helpful, but I don't think it really fits as a, uh, uh, an overall global document. It's more a, a document that is, is uh, you know, could really be effective as an addendum to that 2012 uh, guidance document, quite frankly. Um, you know, uh, for example, how, do, how does that, uh, for a purely domestic organization, uh, let's say in an organization that's not a typical corporation, because this also talks about corporations over and over again. There's a lot of loose terminology in here, and, and that's the other thing that I would like to see happen: is is let's 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 harmonize what's going on uh, at the Department of Justice with the standards we are so familiar with, the gold standards, the standards that have worked for 27 years, 28 years now since 1991. Uh, we don't talk. We don't need. We shouldn't be talking about uh, corporations. We should talk, be talking about organizations. What about the large 
um, university, research university with thousands of employees and lots of uh, uh, steep regulatory compliance issues. Uh, that's not a corporation. Um, th there are organizations. What about government agencies, uh, by the way? <laughs> Those are organizations. The sentencing guideline standards for an effective program apply to the government, apply to the DOJ itself, apply to um, every organization. Uh, let's standardize some of these, some of this terminology. You know, things that seem small but become more of an issue when you are trying to navigate the expectations as a compliance officer. For example, something simple like uh, when the Department of Justice talks about, uh, uh, the department says policies and procedures, and in other places it says written standards. The, the, the terminology is too loose, and if you go back to the sentencing guidelines, we talk about standards and procedures, and it's defined in the application notes of 2B1.1, uh, 8B2.1, 8B2.1 of the uh, sentencing guidelines, where it says standards and procedures means standards of conduct and internal controls that are reasonably capable of reducing the likelihood of criminal conduct. It's very straightforward. Uh, we have all of these all of these different terms that come out in the the subsequent guidance from the Department of Justice, and now uh, since 2017 we've had policies and procedures. So let's let's get it consistent. I, I think that, that it's it's worthwhile to be consistent, and you know obviously I'm prejudiced uh, to the sentencing guidelines, uh, Chapter Eight, and in particularly Eight B Two Point One because it is elegant and simple and it has worked for a very long time. There's no need to remake that wheel. And uh, there's no need uh, to, to uh, uh, go in a different direction and change terminology. Let's stop using corporations. Let's you know, continue to use organizations so that we are consistent. Uh, things like that, which seem small, but I think actually do make a difference uh, when you when you look at it overall. It can be confusing, and it doesn't need to be. Uh, it doesn't need to be. So I, I I would like to say a few things that I really like about the change um, that came out two months ago because there are there's a lot to like. There's a lot more to like than than the quibbles I've been talking about for the first few minutes here. Uh, but I think the quibbles are are probably a little bit more than quibbles. And, and uh, if the goal is for us, and this is the last thing I'm gonna say about it, if the goal is to try to encourage organizations to have effective programs, to put those resources and the effort uh, out there to get it done, uh, then it behooves the, uh, those that are pre pre presenting those standards to make them as clear and ex as accessible as possible. We have a document here that talks about how policies and procedures need to be very clear and access accessible, and the document itself, I have to say, I just don't feel it's, uh, it's, it's quite there. I think that there, there could be some work done on this to make it much more clear and accessible, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Now, the things I do like, and then there are, again, lots of things to like, but a few I want, want to call out. One in particular is the continued reinforcement and uh, 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 empowerment of the compliance function, and in particular, particular the, compliant, the person or persons responsible for compliance at the organization. Um, uh, that is something that this, this memo uh, it continues to reinforce and add more to uh, using terms like stature um, uh, when talking about 
the the uh, the role of compliance at the organization. These are important concepts to really really uh, you know continue that evolution of the role from being something that is uh, an outsider role to a, a to an operational role. Uh, the uh, the memo talks about some very specific things, like such as a, a the compliance function being involved in M and A activity, um, the compliance function being involved being involved in operations of all kinds. That's really important. Uh, op the opera the, 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 you know further integrating compliance into the operations of the organization is the new goal. Uh, for so many organizations out there, and this memo does a lot to get us closer to that goal by providing ammunition uh, for those that are making the case, both internally and both external um, uh, advisors, consultants, and lawyers that are trying to convince their clients that this is important. Uh, this is great, great help to raise the stature of compliance in the organization, raise the stature of those individuals responsible for compliance in the organization, and get the proper resources and integration, operational integration of compliance that we really need. Uh, this memo goes a long way towards that. Uh, further, uh, um, further uh, emphasizing the importance of the middle uh, and tone throughout, not just tone at the top. Uh, that's a key message throughout this memoranda as well. Uh, again, that's something we've been pressing very hard in the last few years in particular. Uh, you, can't you can't have operational compliance if you don't have operational management involved in it. There's just not enough resources. You couldn't hire enough uh, compliance officers and uh, compliance uh, professionals to do that in, in most organizations, even organizations that aren't that particularly large. You, you need management involvement. You need managers uh, to have skin in the game, as they say. And this memo goes a long way towards reinforcing that notion in a real and, and structural way. That is awesome. Uh, that is a continued evolution of the expectations uh, that both the department and other regulators have around compliance. Um, but it's very clear now that if you have an organization where uh, the middle is not involved in any way, the middle is not supported in any way so that it can be involved, uh, you are going to have a much harder uh, argument to make that that um, program is effective. Uh, this is a key change and really important and a great thing to see in the memo overall. And then the last thing I would say is uh, something that's been a, a concept that's been around for a while that the department really, really talks about a lot, in, um, and that's the concept of a paper program and active involvement, active commitment. Uh, they're looking for an organization that's not just throwing resources at the issue of compliance, but that is actually bought into it. That's a hard thing sometimes to show. Uh, but you are on notice now that you need to be able to show it. You need to show active commitment. Um, you know, what are some specific things that show the commitment of senior and middle management? Uh, and, not, you know, it has to be more than uh, our CEO signed the letter on the second or third page of our code of conduct. It's got to be active. The term active is used in this memo. So if you don't have an active 
executive or management uh, group and that that are involved in compliance on a regular day-to-day ongoing basis that, that oper the, the operational compliance that we're talking about here then it's going to be hard to show that commitment it's going to be hard to show uh, that that you have a program where uh, the powers that be and then the middle and uh, everybody in between and, and down throughout uh, the, the stretch and breadth of the organization is involved. Um, you have to show that. Um, the, the key thing here is that, that you know we're trying to show effectiveness, right? We're trying to show that the program actually works. It's that third question in the memo. Does it work? Um, the, the answer to does it work isn't just that you catch something. Remember, you can miss it. You can have misconduct that uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't get caught by the program. But it's how you react to that. It's how you change the program. It's how you remediate. It's how your organization, your managers, your executives communicate and live the program on a day-to-day basis. How it's integrated into the operations of your, pro- of your, of, of your organization that will, that will prove this up, will prove, prove whether it works or not. Uh, it's not whether you catch something or not. That's not the that's not the question anymore, or if it ever was. Um, you you can you can completely miss something, uh, as long as there is a reason why, and that reason why is being fixed. That there is remediation and improvement of the program to address that issue. That's part of an effective program is that will address uh, those those issues. Um, that's not the measure of effectiveness and whether it works or not. Whether it works or not is whether it's actually being lived on a day-to-day basis. That's the key. And that, to me, is really important, too. And that comes through in this memo. It's a little convoluted, but it comes through in this memo. So um, overall, um, I, this is a great thing. Uh, I think this is something we're going to be talking, talking about for some time. I'm going to revisit it, I'm sure, in future podcast episodes on particular topics. Uh, it's great guidance. Um, I think that, you know, uh, uh, Rod Rosenstein, before he left, had uh, said that he wanted to see uh, the Department of Justice uh, memorialize this sort of uh, guidance in the U.S. Attorney's Manual rather than in, in individual memos out there. Uh, that process obviously did not happen, and he is now gone. Uh, but uh, I would, I think that that's an opportunity, right, is to to try to take this information and, and, and har- I would like to see the department harmonize it a little bit more with what uh, has come before, what has worked so well, and that's the organizational sentencing guidelines, and think about what makes sense to be in there and what doesn't, and, and really um, edit it down a little bit. I think that that would be more effective for most organizations. Now, I know that some people are going to say, no, 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 I want more information. I want, I want to know what they want. I want to be able to, to do everything that they say in this memo. And, and then that way, uh, I've, I've done it all, and I'm covered, and I've got an effective program. Well, remember, the caveat, as always, with any guidance from the department on this subject or, or subject similar to it, is uh, there's, this is not a roadmap. This is not a checklist. This is no guarantee, you know, even if you have these elements and you've followed uh, through and, and answered all these queries and have those answers, that is not necessarily going to get you that um, 
uh, get get you to that point where they don't prosecute or don't uh, uh, refer your case to the SEC or some other regulatory agency for uh, civil settlement. It's not. Uh, there's no guarantees here, and that you're never going to get that. You're never going to get that. So I know that there are some out there saying, no, no, no. We we want all this detail. We want them to to uh, spew it all out and give us everything that they that they they can think of. Um, I I understand where where you may be coming from with that, but I just don't think that that's going to get us where we want to go. Remember, I think the goal here should be to try to get that vast middle those uh, small and medium-sized organizations that you know aren't thinking about this at all don't know that this memo exists may not even know that the sentencing guideline standards exist uh, but they have a large enough organization that they should uh, have an effective program and we need to provide guidance to that larger group and that guidance i think just needs to be simpler uh, you shouldn't have to hire a white shoe firm to decipher uh, what's going on in this memo to and make a determination about uh, whether you uh, you have the components of an effective program. I just don't feel that that is uh, what uh, I don't think that's what the department ultimately wants, and it's certainly um, not consistent with the sentencing guideline standards, which are you know all of two and a half pages, even with the application notes. Um, that's not to say that you know the sentencing guidelines again are, are necessarily better. Or, or 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 um, superior in any way, but but they have stood the test of time. They have stood the test of time. Um, so that's those are my thoughts and kind of concluding thoughts on the new memo from the Depart Department of Justice. Uh, so you can take that for for what it's worth. Um, we'll um, move on to some other subjects since we've been talking about this for uh, three or four weeks now. Uh, and I uh, hope you have a happy holiday weekend. And we'll be back at you next week. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.